0: everyone I'm Guile and I tweet at Door Podcast and today I'm joined by Chickie. Hey I am Chickie. I'm at the Chicron on Twitter. And Kama.
1: Hi, this is Kama and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter.
0: And today we're going to be continuing our reread of a song of Ice and Fire with a Game of Thrones Daenerys 1. So as you can imagine it was quite a battle to literally have anyone on this episode besides myself. So <laughs> So I thoroughly appreciate it. The chapter starts out with, um, I'm actually going to start it out with a bit of a quote just because I found it hilarious on reread. Um, Daenerys starts, her brother held the gown up for her inspection. This is beauty. Touch it. Go on. Caress the fabric. (laughs) What the hell? Viserys is such a weirdo. Oh, (laughs) so creepy. So creepy. It's creepy. God, it's so, so creepy, creepy that it literally made me laugh, though, because I remember this scene from the show, and it was, like, creepy there, but you're like, this is just, like, kind of them being creepy, and he's got this stupid wig and all of that. And then you open up the book, and it's, like, word for word. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Caress God. the fabric. Like, who says that? Viserys. Oh, yes, apparently Viserys.
2: Harry right. Lloyd was so good as Viserys. I mean, that is one of the best casting choices on a show full of really good yeah. casting choices. Yeah.
0: I do, I have to say that I love the bit about people looking forward to the Fire and Blood series just because they think all oh, the Targaryen men yeah. are going to share the one wig. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Which, honestly, if that's what happened, that would be like absolutely amazing and I would love it. I will, I will watch the shit out of that. Um, so we find out about Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen and she's 13 years old and she and her brother are a guest of Illyrio Mopatis in Pentos and uh, most of the chapter is really learning Danny's history which of course she would have had to have learned from her older brother Viserys who I believe is 8 years older so he's about 21 here and we learn that um there, you know, they have a lot of talk of the dragons, and we learn Viserys kind of has a a temper, and he calls it waking the dragon, and Danny is very afraid of him.
2: And we Which learn a can we just talk about how obnoxious that is on every level?
0: Yes, it's <laughs> like
2: <laughs> that. Not only does he have these like terrible like fits and outbursts of temper, but he actually has a name for what it is, and then that it's a way that blames the person who sets him off. Like, oh my god it's so yeah. abusive Ugh. and we
0: yeah he's he, he's not a great guy um you think we learned <laughs> learn a little bit about their history and how Viserys would actually be the rightful king of of Westeros but their father was killed they were overthrown by the usurper and um had to flee King's Landing when Danny had only been you know just conceived by just conceived at that point and You know, Danny. kind of, we get this great chapter of Danny sort of picturing what happened even though she wasn't there. You know, their flight to Dragonstone. um, You know, Elia dying. The Kingslayer opening her father's throat with a golden sword. And there was one line in here that honestly kind of made me a little bit emotional. And it was just this, her brother Rhaegar battling the usurper in the bloody waters of the Trident and dying for the woman he loved. And not so much like the act of that but just like the way this is framed as such a as such a part of this incredible epic and it just ma- it made me angry about the show all over again just because it it's built up as this incredible epic these things had meaning and then it all just like literally was a pile of shit and nothing meant <laughs> anything and it just is like such it, it just made it such a shame again to me and really just this chapter like really sunk that in for me of what a shit show, the end of the show was and how it just ruins literally all of this for me. Well, I I really like it too. What I like is, you know,
2: George, George has kind of slowly been introducing you to some of this stuff throughout, you know, the first few chapters of the book, you get just the barest hint in, in brands chapters. And then you really get a little bit more into it. in Catlin's, you get a little bit more detail, And then you hear it from a completely different perspective when you get to Danny, because of course, Danny has been raised with this, as this kind of, you know, sad, romantic lore. Um, thanks to Viserys and his take on things. And, um, it's just, it's really interesting. You're going from cats chapters where she's really, you know, nervous and, and not, not really excited to see, you know, the Baratheons and particularly the Lannisters in, in Winterfell and neither's Ned. Um, and then you you get here and here Danny considers them both equally enemies you know it's yeah. a really it, it's a it's a really good setup i always say in a typical series you know Danny would be the antagonist and and this this kind of shows that to you like really well just kind of like okay well you thought this was his perspective let's just completely do you know another 90 degree turn and here's right. another completely different perspective on things
0: and it's not like she is this you know dragon queen This horrible dragon queen. Like, she's this 13-year-old girl who's talking, who doesn't have any of her, like, the memories that she has of Westeros or all of series. So, you know, she knows that she was born on Dragonstone, and then there was a horrible storm that ruined the fleet. And, um... She only has the mythos. Yeah. She doesn't know the, um... The reality of it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, you talk about like you know, getting to the imperial and and or empirical and, and objective truth of things. Danny has no idea what
0: right. the objective truth of things is. You know, her memories seem to start when Sir William Derry um, broke into the nursery and stole her and Viserys out and went and sailed to Bravos. And you know, she, the first thing I think she remembers is Sir Willem and the house with the red door with the lemon tree out her window. And, you know, he was obviously this pretty sickly old man, but he took care of them while he was alive. But as soon as he died, they, you know, the servants stole everything. And she and Viserys were um, basically selling all of their possessions up to and including their mother's crown and trying to outrun assassins. And, you know, she talks about how for a while of the while these merchants and princes of the free cities would you know, welcome them with, open arms and they had friends. But as time went on, like the doors started getting closed to them and they seem like they're in, you know, a worse and worse position as they're running out of money and out of friends too. And so this point, you know, in Illyrio, you know, Danny's not dumb enough to realize that, you know, they're Mopatis wants them for something. And this feels like the end of the line for them to me.
1: How sad yeah. is oh, it yeah. that
0: this 13 year old girl has clocked all of that?
1: And her, what, 18, how old is he again? We just said this. I
0: think he's, this. Like 20 he's like 20. 20. Yeah, this 21. His 21
1: year old brother is so. I don't you're going to get into this, but she's she's shrewd enough to know what's going on. And he is so, he's totally embraced that mythos. He's totally this Targaryen lore of the people and all of that. He's, well,
0: part of it's all well, that he has left, she, you know? Because, I mean, beyond, you know, he remembers his, you know, it doesn't, you don't. I yeah. can't even imagine what kind of relationship he had with Ares, but, you know, he obviously remembers his mother, and he lost his mother as, like, a nine, an eight- or nine-year-old boy with, you know, losing yeah. his, and his big brother, which you figure, you know, with his age and Rhaegar's age, he, Rhaegar had to be something of someone he idolized quite a bit, too, and just to lose well, he, everything.
1: I, I'm possibly remembering this from a fanfic, but I, I could have sworn at some point we find out he was mostly protected from all of that by his like
2: yeah Rayella was protecting him from a lot of it okay I didn't make that up in my head
1: then or read that
2: somewhere no I
0: mean you'd hope so just given you know it seems like any mother you know would try to do that although it's pretty clear he
2: he definitely spent some time around Eris you can just tell (laughs) yeah there's been some
0: he's he's absorbed some of that
2: Um, yeah I mean, like I just what I appreciate about this is um you can tell <laughs> Viserys lives in one reality and Danny lives in another. And in Danny's reality, none of this ever existed. Yeah. It was always a story. Right. And to, to Viserys, it was it's reality. And for Danny, it's it's a fairy tale. And that's very clear. And that's why you kind of get the impression she's able to kind of, even for somebody so young, to kind of see through it and go, uh, <laughs> What is the reality? What 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 would motivate someone to help us at this point? Yeah. We don't have anything. In Viserys's mind, they still have a kingdom. They just need to get it back, you know.
0: And she, it, even, it's, yeah, she thinks about how she wants to, you know, she wants to just be one of these little kids playing. Like, she doesn't want this. She doesn't necessarily want what this myth is. You know, it's not, it's not her mythology. It's not her kingdom to regain at this point. You know, she doesn't, not to sound like Jon Snow, she doesn't want it, but, you know, she... I don't know. if think you know, more she than anything, anything. It's
2: almost religious to Danny in a way. Like she's almost raised, raised with it in the way that someone might be raised with religion, mm-hmm. the idea yeah. of, of reclaiming things. And I think that's how it is for her. It, it, it does have a reality for her, but it's not the same reality as reality.
0: Yeah. So what we find out the reality of it at the moment is that, um, Illyrio and Viserys have cooked up this plot where they are going to um, basically sell Danny to Khal Drogo, who is this um, extremely successful—I guess that's the only way to put it—extremely successful um, Khal of the Dothraki, and he has a hundred thousand men. And they say, you know, his palace in Vas Dothrak has 200 rooms and doors of solid silver, which I'm kind of bummed. Like, we never really saw any of that. Like, I sort of feel like the Dothraki actually do not have palaces with 200 doors of solid silver. Um, doesn't seem their style to me, but, you know, I, I guess they could. Well, um, the point here is that it is oversold, right? Because
2: the the, the servant tells Danny, oh, all of his slaves have collars made of gold and yeah. then she gets to his house and it's like no it's just bronze like everybody else
0: and so they're they're kind of the servant is getting the servant is getting Danny ready to go to this reception essentially to meet Khal Drogo. so that's why they had this dress that was so great that they had to caress the fabric it's to bring out the violet of her eyes and you know we find out she has this hair of beaten silver um, and they they put her in. You know, gilded sandals, and she has golden bracelets with amethyst around her wrists, and you know, a heavy gold collar with all this Valyrian um, Valerian insignia on it. And we also, you know, we hear a little bit about the the mythology, I guess, of the Targaryens. Um, you know, the blood of old Valerian, Aegon the Conqueror, and you know, Danny thinks about you know how. She had, you know, she always thought she would marry Viserys because the Targaryens always married each other. Um, so, we, you know, we're learning a little bit about the Targaryen history as well at the same time that she's basically being pimped out for um, the Stothraki call. It's
1: very, um, it's so tropey. It's very much have her perfumed and bring her to me. You know,
0: it's,
1: you know, I've seen this scene in a zillion things, you know, we've all seen this scene in a zillion things.
0: And then there's this great little moment where um, Sh- Viserys and Illyrio are talking and Viserys is, you know, thinking, he's saying, not thinking, he's actually saying, I'll kill the usurper and I'll, you know, I'll kill Lannister too. And, um, Illy- you know, Illyrio, that would be most fitting. And he has this faint smile and, you know, Danny notices it, but um, Viserys doesn't. Yeah. And it's this, this hint, this little hint there that, um, Illyrio doesn't think a lot of Viserys at this point, and you know there's a lot of theories about what Viser- what Illyrio is doing at, in this in this chapter, which he's basically he thinks he's sending away. Um, he thinks he's sending these two Targaryen kids away to their death, basically. But I think he's hedging with the with um, the dragon eggs, which we'll we'll find out later.
1: I think he's yeah. I think he's definitely hedging his bets. This is not. Yeah,
2: I don't think this is necessarily to completely get rid of them. I think it's that he wants to use them, is is pretty yeah. much the goal. I suspect. I mean, will well, uh, I suspect that Varys and Ilario's goal may have been to eventually, you know, marry.
0: Viser- or, uh, their
2: their Aegon and- to Danny. I suspect yeah. that maybe. What they, their eventual, um, the plan. Goal
0: was. Although yeah. by marrying her to a call, then once she was widowed, she would have, um,
1: oh, you get rid well, of them, then cow. you, yeah, get rid no, of No, but cow. I mean,
0: then once she's widowed, she was supposed to go to, um, the Dash Colleen.
1: Yeah, so is Dora
0: basically yeah, explicitly there to like, to make maybe sure they that, were, that didn't happen?
1: Maybe they were planning on either that gets rid of a, a potential rival. If that's the problem, or if they get her and get her out of Essos, then I mean, realistically, how likely is it that the Dothraki are going to cross the Narrow? Sea? I mean, you know, like there's ways they could do that. Yeah.
2: I think yeah, these are. I, just- I don't. I don't think they would have been worried about her having to get stuck with Josh Colleen I'm sure they they knew they could get her back. I mean. Or, and I don't think that Jorah is necessarily in on it with Illyrio and Viserys. He's working for Viserys on Robert's behalf. Yeah, you've got intrigue within intrigue but here. Like Viserys is working Varys. on level A and level right. B and level C. Like,
0: well, Varys, some yeah. of this. Jorah to Varys, to look how much of her, this for...
1: do we know is all plotted out? Oh, you mean by George at this point? Yeah, probably I not. I mean, I've got to imagine there's a lot of this that wasn't even uh, totally. Yeah. He does change things. He, he does. does change things,
2: and the fact that he has Illyrio go to King's Landing is so weird in retrospect. Well, just, just to have this meeting with Varys. i mean, that's so weird.
0: Well, and how you know Illyrio is not like he's described—you know, at, he's not someone that would—he um, wouldn't be someone that you wouldn't notice. Let's say, like you would definitely notice Illyrio. Like he can't really be yeah. incognito. No.
2: doesn't seem like he can do anything very easily. I mean, it takes two guys to get him on his feet.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Danny goes to this, they go to this reception, for, for lack of me figuring out a better way to put it. And we learn a little bit about the Dothraki, and basically... Um. Illyrio is pretty confident. Like, yeah, they're not going to take Pento's. Like, we've got walls, but you know, they're so it's so cheap to keep their friendship that basically we just pay them off. And um, this is payment to the Dothraki, and it's also you know kind of creating that alliance between them and adversaries temporarily, at least. So this is you know totally in his interest. And um, we we learn that the Dothraki grow their hair until they grow their hair until they lose in battle and they cut it in shame and they braid, they braid bells into it to signify their victories. And so when we first see Khal Drogo, he's, you know, half a head taller or a head taller than everyone in the room and, you know, copper skin, a braid that goes, brushes the backs of his thighs. So, um, you know, so he's quite a formidable, um, quite a formidable person. And, you know, Danny's, Obviously, you know Danny's this little thirteen-year-old girl. She's quite um, and grossly enough. There's there's a few comments, and they're like, "Well, does Caldrogo like his women this young?" You know, and just like commenting <sighs> on how young Danny yeah. looks. You it's know, and, like, so creepy. Yeah, so creepy. And
1: and every time I think, I don't know the whole bit about tweaking his sister. Oh god, yeah.
0: Oh. The it's nipple
1: like,
2: twister. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just,
0: Gross. And, you know, obviously Cal Cal Drogo is pretty intimidating for Danny, and she blurts out that she wants to go, you know, she doesn't want to marry him, she doesn't want to be his queen, she wants to go home. And this kind of wakes the dragon, if you will. And Viserys tells her, you know, we don't have a home. They took our home. We're going to go home with an army. That's how we're going home, and basically tells her, you know, quite lovely, tells her that he would let the entire Kalizar and their horses fuck her if it meant um, getting a Dothraki army to try to conquer Westeros. So that's, you know, always good. Um, so Danny is very well set up as object here. Yeah. I, I mean,
2: it's awful. This is horrific, and it's you know, all of the kind of worst parts of what you often see in this kind of a little, you know, I never really think of George's actual grimdark, but grittier mm-hmm. fantasy yeah. stuff. It's just blah. It's disgusting. I mean, it's,
0: it's only redeemed by the fact that we're seeing it from Danny's POV.
2: And that, know? yeah. Partly, and it's partly redeemed.
0: Yeah. I yeah. Mean,
2: uh, there, this is the problem. Uh, this is the problem I have with, with a lot of this storyline is there's just an ele- there's an element of I'm gonna. I want to say wallowing, but I actually kind of mean reveling in some yes. of the salaciousness of it, and oh, yeah. I don't like it. I've never liked it. I can't stand it.
1: It's all. It, it's like straight out of I don't know, like a Flash Gordon kind of you know. Yeah. Oh, probably. Or, totally. or her like, and again. Yeah, or the like perfuming of Australian her kind of her thing, genitalia, all yeah. that stuff. It's all straight out of like a An. Not in a Quentin Tarantino way, but like a pulp in the original sense of the word, you know, the jungle epic. Yeah, like
0: uh, a 30s yeah. pulp. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, there's a little bit of 90s harem um, harem yeah. fiction in here, too. like Which oh, yeah. came from that genre. I mean, very, very, I mean, you know,
2: I'm going to use the term racist, not because I think George yeah. R. Martin is necessarily any in any way holding an intentionally racist view or anything, but you know, like uh, there's a term called Orientalist, you know, yes. like where you just kind of other people. And I mean, obviously George is a white dude. I'm a, a white woman. So I'll talk about it. Y- you, 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 you have this sense in like, especially in a, in the U.S. I should probably only talk about my own country, but where it's okay to other and exoticize like other cultures and other races. And, you know, it's something that you see in George's writing. There's just no other way about it. I mean, we know that he has said that he based in some ways, the Dothraki on like the the Mongols and, and you, and you see, you see some, some racist tropes peek in here. I don't think he intended to do it. I don't think that he knew that some of it was going to be racist, but it's there and you get the beginnings of it in this chapter. Mm -hmm. And, part of that is the fear of the white woman being quote unquote taken by the man of color. And,
0: right. and it's there. There's the
2: underpinning
0: there. Well, any the otherworldly, I mean, beautiful white woman, you know, like that part of which
1: again is, well, is from, the from that trope. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like you can go back to H rider Haggard and beyond with she and the exoticized white goddess, all of that. And yep. that's partly, I mean, I can look at a game of Thrones, which we established in an earlier recording, he started writing in 91. That's a long time ago. You know, I, I don't think he was probably, I mean, if he were writing it now, would he, I don't know. Well, it's I mean, interesting because
0: he's talked about, if he was writing it now, he he's talked about, you know, thinking about what if he made the Targaryens black? Because his intention was to, like, make them through, you know, through these Violet eyes and super silver hair to like make them be more othered, I think. And so he's actually talked about that, which would be, you know, it's interesting. Um, he, so I think, you know, to your point, Kam, I think he kind of gets that his he gets that like, this is dated. It, you know, yeah. dated would be like the kindest term, I guess. Right.
2: Dated is the kindest term. And, and you know, i like, here's the thing that I want to say as, as a reader and a consumer and a watcher, you know, when you're raised with this racist junk underpinning so much of the media that you consume, you don't always notice it no, at first. You yeah. don't always pick up on it. And, you know, I think definitely understanding has evolved. That is not to excuse its existence. It shouldn't right. be like this. <laughs> this is garbage well, but
1: it, it explains but, it. And it's yeah. it's like if you've ever gone back and rewatched a movie from your childhood. I mean well, you didn't you Disney see
0: plus even put like warnings on um warnings on some of the old original oh, cartoons. God. They should've so I mean stuff
1: should have fucking warnings on it. Ugh. I mean there's a whole we could hell, there's somebody doing a whole podcast on a song in the Southman racism. I mean it's like you don't I think Chickie's entirely right. You don't realize it, you grow you grow up with it, it doesn't excuse it, but it's sort of it's a lens, I guess, that you have to be aware of. But it's it so is it hard is a
2: lens of awareness. But at know. the same time, you know, once you're aware of it, you see it, and you're just appalled and sickened,
1: and you know, it's, it's so hard to turn off at that point because it's like, oh God, really, they're going to do this? Okay, it's
0: too bad because I mean, it's really a just getting getting the mythology and the story from Danny is really, I mean, it's really interesting. It really adds some meaning to the story, and then. You know, this aspect of it is cringeworthy. Um, and I, you know, yeah.
1: I, I, I will say, I mean, every time I reread um, Game of Thrones, I astonished it how much I like Danny, which is not something you'll hear from me in, yeah, say, class. I mean, she's- oh, she's by far the least annoying in a Game of
2: Thrones. Like, no question, even to <laughs> me. Like, she's, it, it begins to be get get to be an issue toward the end of the book, you know, I, this is funny because this is one of the things I do remember from the beginning. You kind of, you kind of have, um, you get used to formulas when you read any particular kind of, you know, genre thing. You know, you read a lot of mysteries, you get used to mystery formula. You read a lot of fantasy, you get used to fantasy formulas. And when when, a, when an author does this with, you know, a lot of different POVs, you you get used to expecting them to converge at some point. And the, the irritating fucking thing about Danny's POV to me, and this is, this is one of the things that would, no matter how amazing she could possibly be, which I don't really think she's that great a character, but even if she were, the fact that he keeps her into the fifth book completely, almost entirely divorced – from the main storyline in Westeros is so enraging because you're, you've just kind of been trained to expect convergence at some point, you know? Yes. Like I remember expecting convergence of her POV at the end of this book and then <laughs> wow. not getting it. And uh, so that is why I started to tune her. Out. I tune her out by the second the book. Cause I was she, like, what the fuck? Why isn't she integrated yet?
0: I don't, I mean, I kind of, I like her being, I like the, I like the idea of her being almost mythologized herself before she comes to Westeros. I wish that her plot line wasn't a quagmire in the in the 5th book. You know, like that's where, like I don't mind it up through there and then I just I find it a bit it it's too plotting by then for me, but I like it. I like like hearing the hints and the warnings and the and the myths about her from other characters throughout the series. Like, I kind of get a kick and out see, of that. And see, I would say if he was going to do
2: that, what he should have done is made her, like, a running prologue character and just done a prologue for every book from her POV and not followed her entire story. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are better ways to tell yeah, a story I mean, that's interesting. with what he's doing. I Well, I think even he didn't intend to do this, though, because if you look at his original outline, she was supposed to be in Westeros by the second book. So... And-
0: this i think her chapters in a game of thrones were pulled out as a as a novella weren't they
2: i, I don't, don't know. know were they
0: i think so i think like it was a little bit of a standalone story but i mean which yeah it's certainly easy enough to do i mean maybe that would have been the answer is just to literally write separate books about her and you know eventually <sighs> have the series converge i
2: don't mm-hmm. know I don't know. It's the kind of thing where it clearly got away from him. I I don't assume he meant to break all convention by keeping her this completely separate Mm -hmm. thread. He's clearly tried to pull her back in. Um, And, you know, maybe it will feel like that finally when she meets Tyrion, whenever at the end of Winds of Winter that happens. You know what I mean? I mean, like, it's to me, it's one of the most glaringly, like, obvious mistakes right Mm -hmm. off the bat that he made. Um, What are you going to do? Now, in retrospect, having finished the series and seen that her storyline ends up very much the way that I suspect it will in the books, I'm just like, why the fuck did we spend so much goddamn time with her?
0: <laughs> For See, fuck's that's why sake. I, I, mean, it's I completely disagree that her story will end up very much like what it does in the show, but I'm, you know, agree to disagree on that. But Yeah. Because that would be like. I, I don't you know, can I just not accept like <laughs> not accept this refuse. Um You can because we'll never know. It right. will always <laughs> be a question. Right. And just yeah, I yeah, not not buying into that at this point.
1: Um Well there's a lot I reject, so I support your right to reject
0: hundred <laughs> percent. So, you know, with with all this going on, we do at the end of the chapter we do see that, you know. Drogo, Illyrio is bringing Caldrogo over to meet Danny, and um, you know Danny smiles and stands up straight. So you know she has been cowed enough, basically, to play her part here. Um, and it, you know, it does show like she she very much comes off as this thir- this 13 year old girl that just wants to go home and doesn't want to have any part of this. But you know, you see at the end of the chapter. She, she does have that inner strength, I think, and you're going to see that throughout her chapters, you know, particularly in this book. The things that, you know, the things that she goes through and you know, the things that she goes through and accomplishes before she has magical dragons. Like, if there's anything about the character that kind of irritates me, it's when characters get a little overpowered. And what I do appreciate about Danny is that um, she shows, like, her strength and, and her determination well before she has any, you know, magic given to her.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I would that's say that's part like of why she's more relatable in this book too. She's not overpowered yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, anything anyone else wants to say about this chapter that you guys actually talked about, Danny? How does that feel?
1: I, I like I said, I <laughs> like her in this book. I, my, I'll reserve my irritation with her for later on, but right now. You know what? She's I I like her. I feel terrible for her. I think her brother is a total creep fest.
0: I'm rooting for um, her.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, I I do love how. Okay, this is where I love how unattractive Jora is, which I totally forget about because I'm used to seeing Ian yeah. Glenn and he's the guy I picture. And yeah, no, you and all just, of fandom. He's, he's this creepy middle aged guy who's.
0: Well not there. here, it's
1: later on when not, it yet. Was, not yet. Is the not term, yet right? Not yet. I mean that's coming. Yet. But I mean that's an example of like the show bleeding in. I mean, that's who I see. You know? And no
0: to Danny, he really is this balding guy I in his picture anyone on the any of the old dudes at the wall instead of Ian Glenn, basically. And then and you, you've got it. <laughs> It's really made, hard to do it's kind of weird it's like Ned. i feel like we have to make hotter and um definitely not and you know no nothing against sean bean it's just you know i was gonna say what what do you what what what's happening I, i'm here? sorry <laughs> no i think sean bean is attractive but he's not a 35 year old with like are you long, kidding me flowing hair
1: um uh, no i i think shot i think if he were more hot it would yeah
0: he he would be more of a Brandon than a Ned. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Actually, I think that's accurate. Um, I'm reminded of there's like a British sitcom called Vicar of Dibley where the the vicar was a woman and she was obsessed with Sean Bean and had like (laughs) like basically (laughs) Mm -hmm. like a shrine to him in her home. And he actually, I think, was on an episode. But I mean, I, I think Sean Bean is plenty hot. Oh, no. Sean Bean, Sean Bean,
0: well, and it goes it. without saying that our, you know, our friend Jason Momoa, I'm just saying he's our friend. Oh, God, that's perfect casting. Is, you know, there. again, another example of um, oh, actually very, very good casting. Um, I don't think we could have.
2: I don't even know if Cal Drogo is supposed to be as hot as Jason I mean, Momoa. I feel
0: like the description of him, though, is like, he's pretty hot. I mean, if you, you know, like, yeah, do you want a guy In with a blade brushing the 35 and mm-hmm. she's 13, but, you know, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, and he's... plus, like knowing but the behind-the-scenes stories that came out this week about you know Jason Momoa really being like oh, pretty god, protective of Amelia so Clark upsetting. on set. Yeah, it's super. Hearing and, of this, uh, so the fuckers.
1: Oh god! Oh, god. Okay.
0: The, the fuckers were pretty aggressive about their nude scenes in season one, and Amelia Clark just was talking about how you know she was really inexperienced, and this was really a first time for her, and she didn't you know she didn't really. She just assumed that everything that they were asking of her was, you know, things that made sense. And
1: oh, God, Jason no. Momoa,
0: for example, would be insisting on things like she should have a robe in between scenes when she's nude. Yeah, and you know, just really, you know, really it took Momoa
2: that, insisting upon it for her
0: right, to have that. That courtesy. someone, especially cool. someone whose wife is an actress, should oh, should know about. You know, should should have known this. Like Benioff's wife's wife's an actress. He should know that. Yes, you give actresses or actors robes before well, between what what I
2: scenes. felt like with that article. What was upsetting to me was yeah, okay, sure. You could make an argument that Benioff and Weiss hadn't been on film sets very often. But like the directors, the the DOPs, right. like everyone else on set, had been on fucking film yeah. sets. Yeah,
1: right. Before. And they just and took an advantage and TV and movies, and that those were not. This is not some junior production. Yeah. These and were, they
0: took advantage of a young act of a young and really inexperienced actress, so like they could make her like basically like gape at her and make her feel well, uncomfortable. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, but also,
2: She talked about the fact that she was fresh, fresh out of drama school, and that she'd been taught, you know. Look, if there's a nude scene, it's because it needs to be there. It's important for the story.
0: Yeah, and they exploited and, you know, her. There's not a you know, that
2: is 100 percent not what was going on on Game of Thrones, right. obviously.
0: And you know they exploited her, and she's was you know very much the face of the show. And then you read things like they didn't have a robe for the for Lena's extra that did the walk of shame. Yeah. Yeah. And you you know you think about what happened to the actress who played Roz and you know just yeah. who knows other people that you know don't want to speak up because it is still their you know their career
1: Well and they and, hired like, a lot of shitty people they were. who had like um you know had been in what softcore kind of stuff and probably you know it wouldn't have occurred to them to you know that they could have that power to ask either
0: I don't know they probably get robes in their softcore movies yeah, No but I mean a like
1: I don't, I was just thinking, like, in terms of, like, sometimes you do this stuff because you want that, you know, it's going to lead to something, you know. It's
0: just, like, the fact that they didn't even, they didn't treat her like a person. They treated her like a piece of meat. And yeah, this is just like Danny treated in this chapter. Right, exactly. And then the other thing that happened, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but it came out. There are some clips from the commentary of the final episode that came out, and it's Amelia Clark and Benioff and Weiss, and they are so dismissive of her within about five seconds of the commentary starting. The bit that I heard, "Are you going to talk this way the whole time?" Like as soon as she says anything, like making okay. fun of the way that she was saying something, and just like really, like. Given everything else and given what they did to her and her character and what they put her through, you know, and thinking, too, like, this girl had these aneurysms in between scenes. Like, she was literally, like, I felt, you know, just, like, absolutely butchered. And then they sit on a commentary. Are you going to talk that way the whole time? Like, I don't know what power. The power that kept her from punching them in the face is the same power that keeps <laughs> Adam Schiff from like punching Devin Nunez. Like that is I wonder like, how that's gonna age. Yeah. I know, right? This is gonna be who knows. Um, this, but yeah. that self control. Oh, Every is time I amazing. think I can get madder at
1: these people, I do. And I yeah. I will yeah. never watch any knowingly ever watch anything these guys are involved with. Yeah, I don't same. care what it is.
2: Same and, and Amelia Clark is clearly like the sweetest human being. Right. At, to mistreat her in this way is just right. horrific.
0: And just, yeah, sweetest human being. And then like the personal trauma that she's been through that, even if she was like, Oh yeah. Not the sweetest human being, you would be like, let me, you know, let me treat you with kid gloves and, you know, treat you, you know, you would do that. Like any human being would do that. And, you know, yeah, obviously yeah. Jason Momoa was like, acting like it's not anything extraordinary for him to insist that she has a role like that is not at all the extraordinary things that no one else did like he was acting like a normal human being should
2: well and even beyond the sex scenes i mean we've heard stories about Costa Waldo having to have these these interventions on behalf of other cast members i mean like remember in season two when gwen was in that heavy armor and they were like You know, making her do scene after scene after scene. And he noticed that she was in a lot of pain and he was like, hey, we need to have a break so she can have a break. And then later on, everybody was talking about in season eight, that battle episode that Nikolai Kosterwaldow literally had to throw a fit so that they could get like a a tent for the the actors and extras to go sit down in because they were just stuck out in the cold for hours and hours and hours on end.
0: And, you know, they and Benny Oppenweiss weren't even there. You know, like they put these people through this shit. And yeah, it's just, this is like, <laughs> you know, you hear these stories
1: about like, if you've ever heard anything about, um, Tippi Hedren and the birds and what Hitchcock oh, put yeah. her through and her not knowing because she was inexperienced, not knowing that any sane actress would have said, you know, no, we're not doing that.
0: Well, what about and, uh, the Quentin Tarantino where they basically, where they almost killed, um, Oh what's the actress
2: Uma Thurman.
0: Where they almost killed Uma Thurman in the car. Yeah. And you know just like this and you never I mean I'm sure there are stories where it's actors but you don't hear it nearly as much. You hear about these like young women or younger women actresses or who children are, who are Every just, time yeah. every
1: generation there's a new child actor and it comes out that you know i don't know the studios were doing something yeah. or the filmmakers were doing just, something so they could get their take so or whatever and just
0: being exploited so you know i mean the story of you know this danny chapter feels at once you know like these really awesome incredible creative myths but then also like grounded in this like unfortunate circumstance that's like very it is much unfortunately very very meta this chapter yeah, yeah, it, yeah. More, more meta than it ever should have been, um, you know, obviously, oh, she should not have, you know, not have been treated like that, and I hope that, you know, any young actresses who are thinking of working on a Benny and Weiss project would think once, twice, and three times before they uh, do not do that. Um, anyway, yeah. on that happy note... Um, if you would like to co- if you would like any to make any controversial comments, you can email us at close at gmail.com. You can find us on Door Podcast on Twitter or close the door and come here on Tumblr. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com close the door. And you can find our podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcast, and all of the places, all the common places where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And with that I am closing the door. Get out.